Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. With me to the epistle of, first epistle of John, first John. I have a series of messages that I'm going to be preaching throughout October on Sunday mornings from this particular book. I want to set the stage this morning for, for these, this series dealing with, with what John has to say to us in the letters that he wrote. They're not very long letters, but uh, we will be at least four weeks here in 1 John as we look at uh, what he has to say to us. If you don't know where that is, turn to Revelation and go left. Just a little piece and you'll find it. Sometimes these little books are hard to, to locate if you're not well familiar with the location. We'll read the first seven verses of the first chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. We say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not believe. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I'd like to read that first verse again, but read it from the Living Bible. Follow with me there, if you will, in the reading of that particular verse. This is what the Living Bible says. Christ was alive when the world began. Yet I myself have seen him with my own eyes and listened to him speak. I have touched him with my own hands. He is God's message of life. You know, I can almost hear John excitedly proclaiming he is alive. I believe it was two Bible schools ago that our young people stood up here and filled this platform and shouted in song, he is alive. Was it two years ago or was this last one? 
two years ago. Two years ago, I thought I was right. Mary was looking puzzled there, and I was looking to her for support on my time frame. They cried from this pulpit, he is alive. And I hear John, and that's the reason I wanted to read that from the Living Bible, when John says, Christ was alive from the beginning of the world. And that's almost a strange thing for him to say, because John had just recently experienced the death of Christ. John had followed him to the cross. It was John who was at the foot of the cross during the whole crucifixion. John heard and saw the nails go into his hands and watched the soldiers lift him up on that cross and let it drop with the thud into the hole. John heard what he had to say, and one of the words, the seven things that Jesus said on the cross, his father is finished. To thy hands I commend my spirit. John saw his head drop forward and knew without any doubt at all that Jesus was dead. John saw them take the body off the cross and take it to a tomb hewn out of solid rock a short distance away and had his body placed in it and knew that the women had wrapped the body and put spices inside the wrapping for preservative. That doesn't sound like the experience that he now is describing when he is almost shouting to the top of his voice and saying, he is alive, but he says the reason I know he is alive, he gives us three statements. I've seen him, I've heard him, and I have handled him. Now listen, that's personal experience. John is not talking from hearsay. John is talking from personal experience. And personal experience cannot very well be refuted. If you tell me something because you heard it, there is plenty of reason for me to doubt that you know what you're talking about. But when you tell me from personal experience, there is a real reason for me to believe, hey, what you're saying makes sense. You're telling it as if you saw it, you experienced it, you had it in your hands. You know what you're talking about. The problem that we face today is that there is relatively little testimony going out into the world from the church about this person who is alive. And we say he's alive. And the question that the community, the world, raises is, do you say this because you have heard it, or do you say it because you have experienced it? 
And there's a difference between the two. It is one thing to say we believe in Christ because we were taught from the time we were little ones up and brought up in the church. I never remember not being in church. When I was three days old, I was in church, and I have been in church ever since that time. I don't know a time that I was unchurched. And it's good that to see these mothers who have their babies here, who are bringing them up into church, that often happens. But to those of us who have had this upbringing, this training, a good education, sat in church, learned how to behave, got whipped if we didn't behave, and heard the preacher preach, and the Sunday school teachers, and the choir, and all of this. The question is, is what we are saying being said because somebody told it to us, or did we have a personal experience with Jesus Christ? And the tragedy, I am afraid, even within the church, is that much of our testimony is nothing more than book learning, being told by somebody that this is what we're supposed to say. And perhaps many within the church have never had the personal experience. When Pilate was questioning Christ at his trial, Pilate <coughs> asked Jesus, are you the Christ? And, and, and Jesus responded to him, do you say this of yourself or did somebody tell you that I am? sidewalk and, 
And uh, so we were trying to figure out, I wonder which one of those is the preacher. And I said to somebody, the tall one is because he looks like the groom. And Frickett's response was, it's the short one. He walks like a preacher. <laughs> well, you know, she was right. I was wrong. Uh, sometimes preachers have an appearance about this that sort of sets them out from the crowd. I don't think this is too good. And I told you more than once, I'm sure, that I was walking down the street of Parkersburg one time with somebody else, and this person said to uh, about the individual meeting us, that guy's a Pentecostal preacher, I can tell by the way he walks. Well, I happened to know the guy, he was a Pentecostal preacher. I'm not so sure that there ought to be the capability of anybody looking into a crowd and picking out the preacher. Because I'm not sure there ought to be any difference in the way a preacher looks than another member of the congregation looks. We all all look alike. We're all saved by grace, are we not? I remember being in a, in a crowd one time and uh, was being introduced, and somebody introduced me as the preacher, and one lady said to me, are you the preacher? And I said, well, yes, I guess I am. She said, well, you sure don't look like a preacher. <laughs> I don't think I want to look like a preacher. Whatever that's supposed to mean, I don't know. That somebody can tell me walking down the street that I, I have been identified. But I do think it ought to be possible by the society in general to look at us as Christian people and know that we are. And I don't mean that we have a little different step, you know, that makes us look holier than thou or anything of that nature. I mean they ought to be able to tell by the way we talk, by the way we act, by what we do and where we go, that we have been pulled out from the general society and made a separate body. We ought to be known by what we do and what we are. And therefore, if we are, the testimony and the witness that we will give in that case will have impact and meaning because it comes from somebody that has been identified as a part of the body of Christ. And if we cannot be told by these things that we are different, there's reason to question what kind of witness are we. Never will I forget, as a kid in a revival meeting, seeing an uncle of mine sit on the back seat, and the preacher of the church got out of the pulpit during the invitation and went back, and I read his lips. And he said to my uncle, are you a Christian? I heard that. Not with my ears, but I saw his lips move. And I thought to myself, <coughs> If a member of that church has to be asked by the pastor of that church whether he is a Christian or not, there's something wrong. And I was only a kid. But I've never forgotten that experience. John is giving no doubt that the message that he is going to give is from a personal, individual confrontation with the Savior. 
He has been with him. He has seen him. He has heard him. He has handled him. And he declares that he is the word of life. He's alive. You've all heard of obituaries being erroneously reported and perhaps even appearing in the paper and the person is very much alive and the person then responds just by, and you've, you've heard this before, the report of my death has been highly exaggerated. That's the response and that's true. Listen, the report of Jesus' death had not been exaggerated. He did die. The thing that was exaggerated was that he's still in the grave. And John is now going to dispute that and say that this person that I have seen and talked to and handled uh, is in fact alive. Well, that ought to be exciting news. News that should be shared. That's what he says he's about to do in verse 3. So what he's saying is, now that which we have seen, that which we have heard, we're going to declare to you. For what purpose? He gives the purpose. That. The word that indicates the purpose. That you also may have fellowship with us. Now, I'll stop there a moment before we finish out that verse. What's he warning? I am going to declare, he says, this person who is eternal life, this Jesus who resurrected from the grave, I'm going to declare him unto you in order that you might have fellowship with us. Well, that's seemingly, on the surface, is a strange statement to make as to his reason for wanting to declare the gospel. But it's not so strange when we realize what this fellowship of believers has as their motivation. It might seem strange on the surface that a Christian has very much concern about winning anybody to Christ. I mean, why worry about it? Hey, the Lord saved me. You paddle your own canoe. You get yourself saved the best way you can. You call on the Lord. I don't care whether you go to heaven or not. Why should I worry about it? I'm going. Take care of yourself, brother. Why evangelize? I don't care whether you go to heaven or not. That's your business. That isn't the attitude that the body of believers in Christ express. Why do we feel so earnestly that we must implore people to come to Christ? You know why? Because that love that sent Jesus from God above to earth to die on the cross has been imparted to us and we are a part of that same desire that Jesus had. We can't stand to see a person die and go to hell because of the love of Christ that is in us that constrains us and forces us and compels us to witness the living Christ. That's one of the evidences of a saved 
person is that he wants to see other people saved. Now, if on the other hand, a person takes the attitude that I just there initially expressed, that I don't care, there's plenty of reason to wonder if the love of God ever did lodge in the heart. Because the love of God lodging in the heart causes one to care. We have been given a portion of God himself to live with us. So, we certainly ought to want to win others that they might be a part of our fellowship. This is one of the real problems within this church and every other church, I suppose, uh, across the world is that oftentimes that we are not that closely knit fellowship that we ought to be. And things divide us and separate us and, and uh, we go our different ways. We weren't a very good fellowship the last three nights. Only a small portion of our fellowship were here. Shame on those of you who were not here a single night. I say shame on you. You were not a part of the fellowship. Of course, except for those who were ill and had other reasons that, that took them away, but what I'm saying is there is a burning desire within the fellowship to do something together. During the early history of the church, they even sold their possessions and had everything in common and did this sort of thing. They were interested in each other's welfare. I'm afraid that we are associates and not fellowshippers. We are belongers to a physical organization, but have never come to the point that we are a part of the fellowship. And there's a distinction between the two. Over in 2 Corinthians, Chapter 6. There's a couple of verses I think we need to, to look at as we shift gears just slightly, but still on the word fellowship. Look at that. I'm going to turn the air on. I'm not Chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, verse 14, talks about fellowship, really. When Paul says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, John just said that he wanted people to become a part of a body, to be yoked together, to be a members in fellowship one with another. And Paul says, don't be in fellowship or don't be yoked up with unbelievers. Now, there are areas in our lives that we must be cautious that we don't become identified with people who are not believers. And one of those areas certainly is in marriage. And our speaker this week made a point of that, and I won't labor the issue, but simply to point out that there are many, many, particularly girls, who marry unsaved boys, and they say to themselves, 
I'll reform him once I get him. But some of those of you who married unsaved men are still married to unsaved men 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. It doesn't happen that way. The other thing that I think we need to point out is we need to be cautious in our business dealings that we don't link up in partners with people in business who are not believers. You're going to find that the ox and the mule want to pull in different directions. The same concept of things that ought to take place. The same business practices, whether or not you ought to operate on Sunday, whether or not you ought to give to church organizations from the treasury of the business, and on and on we could go. Divide people. If you're going to go into business, find your Christian partner. Otherwise, don't do it unless you can do it on your own. You are going to be in for distress. Thirdly, the same thing is true in pleasure. If you're going to enjoy life, do it with a Christian. Yoke up with somebody who sees things the way you do. Otherwise, there will be the tremendous pressure put on to, to go to things that are not of Christian liking. But I want you now to go down to verse 17. He says to come out from among them and be separate. Now I want us to understand that John nor Paul is neither one advocating that we pull ourselves completely away from other people. There are churches who think that they've got to pull themselves away from other denominations. Their churches are with a bit more fellowship with us than they would uh, anything in the world. We're considered heathen. As a matter of fact, there are some churches who believe that if you join the Olive Branch Baptist Church, that's an automatic seal for hell. They wouldn't associate nor fellowship with us at all. So, well, we're not scot-free on that either. Sometimes we have our own memberships that want to say, well, we can't go, we can't associate with this one or with that one and so on. Be careful of those things because a believer in Jesus Christ who has been saved by the blood of Christ is our brother. And we certainly ought to be fellowshipping. Yes, we certainly ought. But, Paul is supporting John in the statement that we started out with that there ought to be the capability of distinguishing us from the world. Come out from among the world and be separate. Not come out from among believers and be separate, but from the world. All right, this is the beginning. We've got to quit. I'm two minutes over already, and I only got the first page of the notes, and I got two more pages of notes. What do you do with that case, Frank? You quit or go on? I don't quit. All right. What I want to do this morning was introduce us to the beginning of John's message. And the beginning of it is that we are to be as he is and proclaim a gospel that we know not from hearsay but from personal experience. 
Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know him personally? If you don't know him personally, we invite you to receive him. If you're a member of another fellowship somewhere, another body, but you ought to be a member of this body because you're now where your ties are, your interests are, you ought to, to come forward this morning and say, I want to become a part of you, this body of believers. But particularly, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to hear the gospel and receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.